0: Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Spot Me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly
2: to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants
1: You got problems that you ought to be concerned with You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears with a blast and welcome to this week's Bad With Money Mailbag episode. I'm Gabby Dunn. This week I am joined by Mal Blum to react and respond to your messages and emails. Let's get into it. On today's show, I'm going to read an email about ADHD accommodations, Ashley leaves a voicemail about commission, Caroline and Kate share more stories about IUDs, and Cooper writes about bettering yourself. In the second half of the show, I'm going to read an email about kinksters, trans femmes finally writing in to talk transition costs, Lou writes in about trans gynos, trans banking replies, and a five-star Apple review. How are you, Mal Blum? You don't have any instruments with you.
3: No. It's, it's, a, it's a down day. It's a it's down a- Mal day. <laughs>
1: You're like bones or no bones. Like they come yeah. into the mailbag deciding what the mood is.
3: No bones today. It's no bones. Out. Everything <gasps> feels bleak and pointless.
1: Wow. I'm really happy for the energy you've brought to this show. <laughs> no, it's a I good can balance. Change
3: it. Do you no, want me no. to change it? I can change no!
1: it. No. Oh my God. I'm changing no. you now. Okay. This is an email from Ariel. Okay.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: Do you say it Ariel or Ariel?
3: I don't know. It's not my name.
1: I say Ariel. Okay.
3: Oh, it depends who it is.
1: Yeah. Ariel in Hebrew is like lion of God. It's a very intense name.
3: Damn. What does God need a lion for?
1: Ask him. Her. Oh my God. Them. Cancelled. Okay.
3: It's not real, so it doesn't matter.
1: True. Hey, Gabby and Mal. I'm also a good-in-school, good-at-test-style ADHD and wanted to offer Lily from the last mailbag some advice. First, empathy. Working in the medical field is also a fucked productivity system built on the expectation of unpaid overtime. I chose my specialty, pelvic floor PT, partly because it allowed me to see patients one-on-one rather than three per hour, but then I could never meet the productivity requirements, generally 40 to 50 patients per week. Since documentation took me longer than most, I was already working all week and all weekend just to keep up with my already insufficient, according to my employer, caseload. I was put on a PIP, performance improvement plan, aka we're about to fire you plan, Mm. and looked into accommodations. Second, what accommodations mean? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of guidance for reasonable accommodations in the workplace, and usually Mm. they won't agree to lower your productivity requirements, even though that's the thing that would actually work best. I would recommend asking for physical things that might help you focus longer. Private office, noise-canceling headphones, mentor, body double, etc. I also found that I am terrible at prioritization and having someone else set concrete priority and deadlines helps. Weirdly, having less time and more frequent deadlines helps me more than increased time. Spoiler alert, they didn't find any accommodations that would work in that location. I ended up quitting and starting my own clinic that would let me work the way I work naturally. Hope things go better for you. Ariel Wynn, PT.
3: I hope things also are going better for that other... Uh writer caller. Mm-hmm. I think it was a letter. Did mm-hmm. they say that they were good in school? Uh because yes, I believe they did. Okay. Cause it couldn't be me they're referring to.
1: You got <laughs> good grades, didn't you? I struggled. You didn't you Depend... couldn't do the homework. Really,
3: really depended. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I got really such I got good grades in science and English and then in math, nothing.
3: Yeah. Actually, I got in. It was weird because it was like, you know, classes that were like homework based. I would Mm -hmm. like be getting horrible grades in, and then I would like do well in like AP English. You know, right? So I did
1: well in government.
3: You should run for office.
1: Oh, can you imagine? I know. Um, I think I would be like Trump, (laughs) where they'd be like, "Well, what about this?" And I'd be like, "Okay, so what? (laughs) Like, put me in jail then." (laughs)
3: <laughs> that's bad. You'd be like Trump?
1: Yeah, because I feel like I would just be like, there's not like, so, okay. Like, they'd be like, you did this thing. And I'd be like, all right, maybe I did.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. That's terrifying.
1: Yeah. No, I apologize more than Trump.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that guy's ever apologized once in his life.
1: Exactly. Okay. So, Ashley left a voice memo. So, do you want to hear that?
2: Sure. Hi, Gabby. Loved the episode about selling Sunset. It made me feel less shame about liking the show and helped me realize that maybe I like the show so much because for many years, I worked in commission-based sales at a fancy department store. Commission-based sales could absolutely be an entire episode. Influencers, real estate agents, and many retail workers make their earnings 100% off of commission. Folks are often shocked when I explain to them that returns absolutely hurt my final paycheck, something the company told us we were never to share with customers. Even if they purchased an outfit, head-to-toe, dress, handbag, shoes, makeup, jewelry, etc., for an event on a Friday... Wore it all on Saturday and returned it all on Monday, it would be docked from that day's sales. It also fostered an environment that was solely based on competition, so sharking sales, full-fledged stockroom shouting matches, and other shady sales tactics were the norm. Trying to budget for regular expenses while having such a fluctuation in pay was always a challenge, but I hope maybe with this Voice memo, more folks will learn how commission-based sales actually work and have more compassion for retail workers in general. Thank you for creating a money podcast that actually meets people where they're at and makes a lot of us feel seen. You're awesome. That That's interesting.
3: <laughs> My question is like, what if it is like a month later and you've already been paid your commission? I don't think you should have to pay it back.
1: Yeah, or get dog Also, in the I future. don't think it
3: should be on the salesperson, unless they are knowingly selling a defective product. Like if the company, if they sell something and then there's something defective about the product, then the salesperson shouldn't be penalized for that.
1: Yeah. Or just, I mean, I guess someone just being like, Well, I don't I don't want this anymore or whatever. I never knew that it affected the salesperson. I'm we're gonna do actually an episode not on commission, but we're gonna do an episode on tipping. But maybe we mm. should do another episode uh, just about commission with someone who, who can talk more about that.
3: You definitely should, I think, because I think it's different. You know, the tipping episode, the thesis is just going to be, you should tip.
1: <laughs> well, and, the person that wrote in that wanted to do it was saying that she thought, not to spoil the episode, but she is saying it, that- They that should you be should paid re-
3: a livable wage.
1: No, that you should report your tips, which is uh, like to the IRS, which is uh, a controversial stance.
3: I mean, I always uh, report like merch cash to the IRS because-
1: Well, you have to say that here on this podcast.
3: (laughs) No, I do it though, because like I would rather pay taxes on it now than have them like come after me, you know, once Mm -hmm. the money is gone.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't do a whole episode about commission. If you're someone who could speak to that, right in because um, I think, wow, I learned a lot just in that short voicemail. (laughs) Okay. Someone wrote in to agree with you, Mal.
3: Oh, boy. About what?
1: Hi, Gabby and Mal. I'm literally writing this email as I listen to the mailbag about IUD feedback. I just want to share my personal experience and understand it is not necessarily the norm, but wanted to validate Mal and the stories you originally told. When I got my IUD, it was the absolute worst pain I've ever felt. My best friend told me that was nothing compared to getting it replaced. Neither of us knew that we could get numbing medication or meds that are supposed to dilate us. Thanks for that tip, writer, or even ibuprofen. I know it's not money related, but I really appreciate the advice and will be making sure I have the appropriate medicine given to me before I get my IUD replaced because it is the most economical and, for me, easiest form of birth control. Love the show, Katie.
3: Great. I love that.
1: Then there's another email. Hi, Gabby and Mal, newish listener, but very much love the pod and how you talk about money. I'm listening to the IUD correction app and felt the need to pause and write in about the insertion pain issue. I'm on IUD number two and had local anesthesia both times as a matter of course. I believe it was a lidocaine injection. Insertion still hurt. Getting it through the cervix opening is absolutely an unpleasant ordeal, but the cramping that comes afterward I think is something different. I'm not a doctor, et cetera, et cetera and all these body parts are connected, but I don't think cervical numbing is going to stop uterine cramps, especially when it's a relatively short-lived anesthetic. I still spent my time on the table and on my partner's couch afterward, thinking about the barbarities of gynecological care, the burden on bodies that can give birth, societal ills in general, and agree that it sucks and is tinged with systemic misogyny, even when your gyne is wearing a pin with her pronouns. I can imagine the pain of not having the anesthetic, and yes, it should always be offered, but I wouldn't double down on the idea that it's going to make it a painless experience. Still, my IUDs have been worth it. This one is hormonal it's just fantastic to not have a period, not to mention the effectiveness. Anyway, Caroline. Wow, I love that uh, she <laughs> – I love that her sign-off is anyway, Caroline.
3: It's a powerful move. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think – I mean, my assumption – and again, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. Sure. Um, so everybody's vaginal canal is different, Ooh. right? And yeah. so everybody's body is different. And so it it – Stands to reason that everybody's cervix would be different. And so probably dilating the cervix is more painful for some people than other people because it's probably more closed or smaller. For I don't know. I don't know that yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think yeah. both experiences are valid. I think. Definitely. I just want to say, and I, and I am sorry, but I am someone who is scared of the process because of the pain. I, sorry, not sorry. That's my truth. You know, I do not want, do not want. <sighs>
3: I wouldn't be scared of the process i would I would get one, but it doesn't matter because I'm neurotic and I make people with penises like jump inside of a condom before I was going to To me on the arm
1: <laughs> Just four or five condoms, honestly.
3: Now hold on, I don't want to get criticized for misinformation. You should not use double condoms because the friction <gasps> between them can actually make them break. That's not a thing that, that anyone should that you do. would
1: know that. I knew you would know that.
3: Oh, I know a lot, yeah, yeah. I knew more oh in god. health class because of the gay internet in health class when I was in like sophomore in high school, the teacher would like say misinformation sometimes and I'd be like, that's, <laughs> that's not true.
1: <laughs> I love
0: I'd be that. like, "When is,
3: when is this pamphlet from? Because I'm pretty sure that this isn't accurate anymore. And he was like, yeah, probably a long time ago.
1: <laughs> I love that. Oh my god, that's so funny.
3: Okay, <sighs> And yet I really didn't know how to use a condom until like five years ago.
1: Where did you think it went?
3: No, I knew where it went. I just, <laughs> I thought that they were like, not, I, I think I thought that condoms were like a real crapshoot. Like, like they, you know, they, they have like a huge fail rate and that's why ah, everybody needs all these movies. birth control methods. Right. Um, which people do need birth control methods, but uh, I didn't realize that a lot of people are not using condoms <laughs> or not right. using them correctly because I was like oh you're not using it correctly that means it must be really easy to not use them correctly but I think not using them correctly also encompasses like using them 100% of the time you know right, what I mean like right. so I yeah I thought I, I don't know what I thought you're like
1: people have condoms in their pockets and they would be walking around with safety pins and needles all kinds of things
3: in their pockets I thought that they could break and you wouldn't know
1: oh no it snaps
3: I thought that like they could leak <laughs> This is a this show For a really long time. I thought this that show's like shows
1: off the rails. Oh yeah, I, that it would leak out the bottom is what you thought.
3: I don't know and I and and like in my in my mind I was like, do people like check them after to make sure there's no holes? And I was like, that sounds pretty gross. I, people probably don't do that. Like there was a long time where I like just didn't understand certain intricacies, you know?
1: The American healthcare education system is so broken.
3: Okay. Some of us went to public school.
1: Yeah. Okay. Hi, Gabby and Mal. I just want to say that I was kind of surprised to hear my last email having to pay for prescriptions I didn't use because my doctor didn't believe I was asexual read on the show. I felt kind of dumb after sending it because I wasn't sure if it added any value. I'd never told anyone that. So in a way it was validating. You found it valuable. Okay. Hope that wasn't cringe. Just want to say thank you for listening. I'm writing in again because I recently decided to get career counseling and the cost and logistics of that kind of took me for a whirlwind. Basically, my take-home pay is $29,138.16 a year, and there's Mm -hmm. no upward mobility at my current job. With crazy dreams of being able to own a home on my own, eat salmon (laughs) semi-regularly, three, have a PlayStation 5, I know I need more money, but I have no idea what kind of work I want to do or kind of work I'm good at. So I decided to try career counseling after a friend mentioned that was something her college offered. But on account of the fact that I'm not a post-secondary student, career counseling has been pretty expensive for me. My first session cost $225 and there was an additional materials and assessment fee of $310 and 75 cents making $535 and 75 cents. My running total. I actually had to call my bank and request that my credit limit be increased in order for the counseling place to be able to process the second payment. At the Mm -hmm. time, my limit was $500. I was able to get 99% of the first charge covered by my insurance, but I'm only getting $31 off the second charge because I didn't lie when submitting the claim and stated that the assessment call was only 15 minutes long. I learned the hard way that the reason insurance asks you how long the counseling session was is so that they know how much or how little they will be deducting from your claim. Mm. The math of it all, $255 minus $224 coverage equals $279.75. 75. 75 plus 1 equals $280 plus 75 or $31. I don't know. Okay, I'm not mathing the math. I've never looked at my insurance before, so I don't know if I'm waiting on a check in the mail or direct deposit. I'm just out $535.75 until eventually. I know in the grand scheme of things, that could happen to me financially. This isn't horrible. But also getting these bills in such quick succession, one on October 7th and another on the 11th, and having to email the counseling place back to explain why they weren't able to process a payment made me feel incredibly embarrassed. Like I wasn't good enough to have signed up for this process because I wasn't rich enough to stop being poor. I know that's not really true, but those are the thoughts that sprung up as I went through this. Even after listening to your podcast, it was still difficult to process the shame of feeling like I was bad with money. But um tsh, said name of the podcast. Anyway, hope you and Mal are doing well. Thanks again for the work you do. All of it has had a positive effect on my life. Wednesdays are honestly my favorite day of the week because that's when your podcasts release. Sincerely, Cooper Sheher. Wow, I, I love that your goals are own a home, eat salmon, play PlayStation 5.
3: Now, careful with how much you eat the salmon because there is mercury to think about.
1: Well, she said semi-regularly.
3: Yeah. Um, I think that those are great goals. You know why? Because they're specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you can break them up. You can chunk them into mm-hmm. smaller things to get there. And I think they're achievable for you. And, you're gonna, and you'll are and you get there. They're more attainable than like, for example, be better.
1: Right, right, <laughs> Which
3: right. Which is my, my goal.
1: Right, Cooper, that's really true. That's really good. Yeah, rather than just I think people should write down like specific goals, not just like, "Hey, stop fucking up." But like, what do you actually want? You want salmon? You want PlayStation 5. Yeah. And I love that's what that for say. you. I think you and I should write down like specific goals.
3: I've tried. I mean, all the ADHD stuff like tells you to try and like it's I'm not a good. I'm not good at goal setting.
1: But maybe if they were goals like eat salmon and play PlayStation 5.
3: Maybe. I have no interest in either of those things.
1: Well, obvi- what, you, you know what? <laughs> Choose the salmon and PlayStation that belongs in your own heart.
3: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, like, it's like this, like, investment in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. I get that because I feel like I've just been paying out of pocket for this stupid, expensive psychiatrist and mm-hmm. um, getting kind of nowhere with it. Uh, and it's just like, you know, you're, it feels bad. It feels bad mm-hmm. to be like, well... I paid all this money and uh, my career has not been coached yet or whatever,
2: but right, you're not totally. a failure.
3: It's just like everything costs money and, it, and it, this is a dumb ass world. Um, I agree. I took one of those career tests when I was in like seventh grade. You know, did your school make you do that? I don't think so. They made us take like these like aptitude tests to see what a good job for us would be. Oh, okay. Fun fact, mine said I was good with people and so my ideal job would be something like a funeral director. <laughs> not lying. True story.
1: Because you have like empathy?
3: I don't know. It didn't really explain, um, but it just, that was my number one job. They
1: found that you would be comforting to people, a comforting presence.
3: Yeah. Do you you feel comforted by my presence?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not dead.
3: Well, the funeral director doesn't generally have to comfort the dead body.
1: You're right. Well, you know what? Actually, when I'm crying, you're very good.
3: Oh, good. I don't think I'm
1: very good when other people are crying. I'm like, uh, stop. (laughs)
3: no i think you're fine
1: well thanks
3: um you say stop but like in a nice way you know what (laughs) i mean yeah you're like stop you know
0: managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming i'm sure you guys know you've been with me on this journey you know how many finance apps i've tried you know how much they haven't worked for me and i'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life and then i tried monarch It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/badmoney. That's m-o-n-a-r-c-h-m-o-n-e-y.com/badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Quick math. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business, and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible, and the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com badwithmoney, netsuite.com badwithmoney. NetSuite.com slash badwithmoney. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen... I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat. Like, ugh, like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying, and I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. You're
3: not yeah. like, stop it. True. Um,
1: okay, that's a so, good distinction.
3: Yeah, like, I, I get it. Like, it's not yeah. like – the inflection makes all the difference, you know?
1: I never took one of those tests, but I remember I got an astrology book from the library that I was pretty obsessed with in middle school. And I read it and the Gemini portion was like, good jobs for Geminis. And it was like, writer, reporter, Mm -hmm. like all of it was like about like writing. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm on the right track. (laughs)
3: That's good. That's really good.
1: (laughs) Okay. This is from the Discord and it says, suggestion if you want to look further into finances and alt-sexual practices as per the latest mailbag, you should interview the hosts of the Off the Cuffs podcast. They are educators, Mm. but also doing sex work and are pretty open about how hard it is to make money doing what they do. For example, Mm. they can't get traditional sponsors for their podcast.
2: Mm. And then
1: someone else wrote, what's the safe word podcast and YouTube also talk about what it's like trying to make money as sex educators, sex workers, and porn stars and producers. Mm. Their podcast is more focused on kink, but they have some very enlightening episodes about sex work and porn, plus lots of pubs.
3: Mm. Mm. I think this is interesting that we lump all of these jobs in together because they're tangentially related to sex. But I think that there's like a huge economic disparity between all of those jobs and even which jobs within those jobs. Like I know Mm -hmm. some people who do sex work who are incredibly rich from it. Mm -hmm. And I know some people who are, you know, making ends meet, you know, Mm -hmm. and so like, and so, you know, just because Somebody is doing sex work or is a sex educator or like to me, the only thing those things have in common is the stigma of sex. Mm-hmm. But those are all very different jobs, you know?
1: That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Also, if you're a kinkster or like a swinger or into BDSM, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily sex work. So that's like mm-hmm. different costs.
3: Right. That's like having a kink is like on a consumer level, the money that you're paying to engage in play parties and for mm-hmm. materials and whatever. Um And I, and obviously like definitely probably is harder to get sponsors for a podcast that Mm -hmm. has sexual content. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I do, I do think it's interesting. I think they're all, you could probably do an episode on each different facet, you know?
1: I definitely could. And I think we, we did the sexy sex episode with uh, Zachary Zane and Drew Gregory and Christina Tucker, but I could stand to do more for sure. Okay. Here's an email from Lily. Hi, Gabby and Mal. I wanted to start by saying I really loved your cost of transition episode. It was actually really inspiring and exciting to hear that many people are having a relatively easy time accessing essential resources like clothing, surgery, and hormones, since I've always viewed that access as something that feels difficult and overwhelming. However, I did want to bring up some additional points about how additional factors such as race, body size, and more can impact Mm -hmm. the ease, cost, and timeline of transition. For example, there are some surgeons who refuse to perform top surgery on larger individuals, meaning anyone seeking that care may have to spend more time and money visiting more doctors or perhaps travel further. And -hmm. while there are now many trans clothing exchanges which can help people access free or low-cost gender-affirming clothing, the number of options decrease as sizes increase, particularly Mm -hmm. for trans fems. Mm -hmm. On the side of race, many examples of surgeries that surgeons share online are on white bodies. Many people want to know how surgeries will look on their own bodies, which Mm -hmm. means trans POC may have fewer options for surgeons and again have to travel further or wait longer. Mm -hmm. Again, love the episode and I appreciate that you acknowledged how you didn't get any responses from trans femmes. I'm also only just beginning to describe some of the access issues due to multiple identities, so I don't expect you to be able to cover them all either. Just wanted to point some out. Love the show, and I hope Mal plays some more weird money games again soon. Best, Lily, they, she.
3: Yeah, we have this finance game.
1: Oh, yeah, we have to play the finance game. Thank you so much, Lily. I really appreciate that. Like I said, in the episode, we got no emails from trans feminine people, which is wild.
3: I actually didn't listen to the episode. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Wow. So I didn't, but I feel that those are all extremely uh, good points to bring up.
1: I, until just now, had never considered that a top surgeon would say no to a fat person.
3: Oh, it's, like, pretty common. You'll see people and, – and the thing about it is that often the way that I have seen it is mm-hmm. in, um, like, community groups and stuff, people being like, I want to have surgery with this particular surgeon, but I have to lose this amount of weight. And, like, they're they're wow. trying to, like, lose weight to do it. Because I think wow. the surgeons tell them – that like you know you're it, there's a risk to your recovery if you you know a certain mm. weight or whatever. So mm. it's like another. It's it kind of reminds me of doctors who like refuse to take on patients who are a certain size. You know, have you heard about that? I know. A- Aubrey and Gordon I, mentioned that on um, maintenance, maintenance phase. Maintenance phase. Yeah. This
1: is my own. This is my own bias. This is my own privilege. Like I'm just now, currently mm-hmm. in this moment, realizing that fat people might have harder access to uh, trans surgeries. That is occurring to me now yeah. in real time.
3: Yeah, because they already have that barrier of access in, in healthcare wow. by way of being fat. And then also the trans element adds another layer to it. And then if they're a person of color or if, right. you know, or specifically if, they're, if you're black in America, yeah. like, that also is another barrier of care right. in terms also, of healthcare. Also, you know what
1: I'm realizing too? In all the times that I've like Googled top surgery results, I think I've only seen white people.
3: I know I've had some friends who when they were trying to pick surgeons or whatever, like they had to make sure to find surgeons or find people personally in these community groups where it's like, can I see your results on a body that looks more like my body, you know?
1: Yeah. Or even on their websites, like thinking about yeah. the websites for the surgeons I was looking at, like yeah. I can't, I'm not remembering any black people yeah. on those websites. Yeah. Lily, thank you. That taught me something literally right now. Yay, Lily. Here's an email from Ev. Hi, Gabby. And 50% Uh-oh. of Mal, since that's the chance this email is read when they are around. I'm Ev, pronounced as Evelyn. They, them. Long time My My dead grandma. It's your, it's your dead grandma writing in. Oh, Longtime shit. listener, first-time emailer. As an 8 person, I also noticed the ubiquity of trans mask folks in your recent Real Costs of Transitioning episode. TBH, it's still a great episode, which sparked some solidarity and helped me through a traumatic week. I began wow. my transition and started presenting as trans femme about eight months ago, and I guess I thought this was too short for me to offer my two cents. LOL, also anxiety. Another factor is the privilege I have had as a PhD Mm. student at a top-tier university. There's a queer health center on campus which provides both counseling and medical services. Since my university employer is also my health insurer, the staff scaffolds the process to minimum cost. This is a credit to the staff because the rest of the university is paleolithic regender. Wow, I love Mm. that. And the realities of the underlying system are still there. I recently started the process for electrolysis, much needed for what it's worth, which requires insurance pre-approval. The campus insurance office requested letters from my doctors, but didn't tell me where to submit them. They don't even have a physical office on campus. After figuring out where to send them, I am now waiting for the approval, which has already taken a few weeks. So I haven't even reached the part where I have to pay for any care other than hormones. I've barely thought about surgery, except for that I will eventually need it. I imagine that will cost a lot, so I should probably start saving, which should be fairly easy since my dad religiously listened to Dave Ramsey when I was little. Wow, a lot is is happening here. Uh. A lot is happening here. I also want to echo your naming of wardrobe as a cost of transition. I love skirts, rompers, jumpsuits, dresses, Mm. etc. None of which is considered acceptable for men to wear, especially in academia where old white men are everywhere. So Mm. I usually end up spending the same amount per week on clothes as I do on food so that I have a robust wardrobe that I feel good wearing. I honestly don't know when enough will be enough because my style and self-image are changing constantly. Another added cost of my transition has been taking time off work to go to appointments or legal proceedings. For example, I had to take a day off work to file the legal paperwork for my name and gender change in person. While I'm not paid hourly, I work in biology research where each day missed is a set of missed experiments that are just delaying your stay in grad school and your transition to an even more thankless job before you can even think about becoming a professor. And mm. I have to spend energy to explain to my advisor and boss that my personal day is me going to the courthouse for totally normal reasons that don't involve illegal activity. Woo, sorry <laughs> for the long email, Ev, they, them. Yay, Damn. thank you to another trans femme person for writing in.
3: Evie. Ev, um, Ev,
1: Evie, Ev. <laughs> I,
3: I did not know that insurance uh, could cover electrolysis. I feel like I have a lot of friends who, like, that's... Something that they complain about, yeah, costing a lot of costing a lot of money.
1: See, Ev, this is why we needed trans femme people to write in. Come on,
3: yeah. Also, wait, um, where did she say she's based?
1: Um, is it America? It seems like it because it's a PhD at a top tier university. Mm. I don't know, just sometimes you can tell based on how they spell things, uh, but. Yeah, I don't know. Also, paleolithic. Describing something as paleolithic is incredible.
3: You have the exact image in your head of what it is, you know?
1: Right? It's like so evocative. Okay, here's an email from Lou. Hi, Gabby and Mal. I had a lot of thoughts in response to your recent mailbag episode, so hopefully I can articulate them all. First, I think it would be rad if y'all continued the conversation about the cost of transition with a trans-friendly, experienced gynecologist. I have faith in your journalism skills to contact such a person Mm. and I think it would be a great way to answer the questions about IUDs you were discussing Mm. today and much more. I think this would be especially helpful since, as you noted, many of your listeners seem to be NBs who experience periods. I really Mm. hope you can make it happen. Yeah, God, Mm. the the amount of transmasculine people who listen to this podcast is like, it's like a full circle.
3: We know uh, at least one gynecological surgeon who is trans friendly. Dr. And Liz Rubin. Dr. Liz, Liz Rubin. And I do peripherally know a trans gynecologist. Funny. There's a funny story about it though. What is it? So as this happens sometimes, you know, when you transition and like, it's been a while and you're out of context, you know, sometimes people don't remember that they've met me before. And uh-huh. um, I kind of did that to this person in the most embarrassing way possible. Did they um, recognize
1: your butthole?
3: Nope. Uh okay, continue. <laughs> I went to the gynecologist for an infection.
1: <laughs> sure.
3: Um, and it was I got a hot trans gynecologist. Uh it was at a, a clinic in New York City at the time. And he examined me. He told me that I need to have plan B on hand, and then he left and whatever. And I, um, and he was kind of weird when I was like, "Nice to meet you." But I didn't think anything of it. Uh, and then I got home and I told my roommate at the time about it. He said, "Wait, what was his name?" And I said, "Blank." And mm-hmm. then my roommate was like, "Yeah, that was like our old roommate's really good friend. Like he's been to our house many times. <gasps> like <gasps> you, you've had brunch with him. Like you definitely know him. Yeah." And I was like, oh, good. The hot trans gynecologist who just examined the inside of my Infected. genitals uh, is uh, somebody that, that I know. Okay.
1: In that <laughs> instance, don't you think that he should say, we know each other socially, you should see a different doctor?
3: Oh, that's interesting. See, I always thought it was, it, he was being ethical by not being like, yeah, we know each other.
1: No. I think he should say, I hmm. don't know, if you're a doctor, write in. I think that you should say, we know each other socially. Even if, like, if you're like a stand-up comic and you go to a gynecologist and the gynecologist like knows your work,
3: they yeah. should
1: excuse themselves. That's what I. Is that true?
3: I don't well, know. I, I made. I that guess up. it's a matter of. I don't know. I mean, I guess he he saw that I clearly didn't remember him, so maybe he was like, "It's fine," because they clearly don't remember me.
1: I don't know what the rules are. I don't know. I don't, what know. The, I don't know what it is, but I don't, I don't like it. Okay. Anyway, know. that's a very funny story. Okay.
3: Anyway, we could contact him, get him on the show.
1: No, he knows too much. Okay, (laughs) next, I thought it was funny that you were so hard on the idea of transferring loans to parents or family members. I totaled my car in February of this year, and I had no idea how I would afford to replace it until I made a deal for an interest-free loan with my uncle, who also happens to be my landlord. I've been Mm. paying him back in $200 installments in addition to my rent, and it's been a good deal for me. He's generally been very nice about it, saying that I can pay it back at whatever rate I want. What I found funny is that I had to put that generosity to the test this month as my finances were tighter than usual and I'm working really hard to save for a hysterectomy. He didn't give me a hard time when I asked to skip this month's payment and he didn't exactly seem thrilled about it, which is why I laughed when y'all joked about parents giving their children a hard time for buying shoes. I just bought winter boots, lol. While I realize that it's absolutely a privilege to have a family member help me in this way, I think it may be a good strategy for those who have the option. Anyway, sorry if this was long-winded. Love the podcast and thanks for interacting with your audience the way you do. Thanks, Lou, they, them. All right, Lou. All right. Let us know
3: what your uncle says about your winter boots. (laughs) If he notices them and is like, huh, are those new shoes? Interesting.
1: (laughs) Uh, Okay, that's really funny. I imagine it's easier,
3: you know, to sort of navigate taking a loan from somebody who's already your landlord. Like you're already sort of in that kind of a dynamic, you know?
1: You're right. You're right. Okay. One la- two last things. Trans banking. Hi. Love the episode with malcalling banks. I would be curious to see what the experience would be at a smaller local bank or credit union. Right. Also, if you haven't talked about local banks in general, that might be cool. My sense is that they can be a more ethical way of banking overall. Mm. Thanks.
3: Okay. Can I say something about the trans banking episode? Yeah. I posted a little thing on TikTok about it. And yeah. for some reason, multiple bankers, huh? like Wanted to comment and be like, banker here, like there's no individual policies. We have to adhere to like federal rules and you have to get a new social security number and like all this stuff. And I was like, that's not true. Yeah, like, it, it's like this is literally not the information I got from calling and talking to banks. Right. And also when you change your name, like legal name change paperwork, they don't give you a new social security number. Right. Like You're still the same person. Right. Like, what are you even talking about? Like what? What? I don't know. And this then is I tried to be up nice. am going to talk about
1: again in next week's episode.
3: Oh, okay. Well, I tried to be nice and like be like, "Okay, well, we're maybe we're talking about different things cuz like maybe they keep your legal name on the back end, but I was talking about on the front facing part of the bank, right. like on your card, on your checks, like and I got four different answers from four different banks. Exactly. So, and then exactly. somebody wrote back and was like, there is no front facing, like blah, blah, blah. Oh like, my okay, God. What, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just like mea culpa you, and be like, you know what? You're right. All the banks I talked to were lying to me and um, I am wrong and you are right. And um, I therefore will not investigate this further. Like
1: <laughs> what? that was your literal experience.
3: I, I mean, yeah, I'm open to being wrong, but, like, I, I'm not seeing the evidence.
1: <laughs> Whatever. Well, guess what? Here's what? a five-star review from Sefanisi that says, Great show. Love, love, love this show. Listening at work helps me keep calm and makes my boring job a little more bearable. Shh, don't tell my boss. The episodes <laughs> with Mal are my absolute fave.
3: Aw, that's nice. That's really sweet. Oh, good. Don't so hey,
1: fuck those bankers.
3: No, no. Not- ha! Oh, fuck the bankers. Mal That's nice. tech
1: jobs and Mal Hague's bankers.
3: I don't hate bankers. I know. And I don't hate tech. That was another thing. Okay. Someone also on TikTok came into the tech job thing and was like, okay, but they're right. Like you shouldn't value certain jobs more than other jobs. And I'm like, I don't. I am not the one valuing right. these Society. jobs more than other jobs. I'm just. Reporting the truth. Holding up a mirror right. that tech jobs pay sometimes. Too much. Multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh-huh. and like a teaching job in the same city will pay like thirty thousand dollars, and right. like I don't think that that should be a very radical stance. That 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 there is a, a an unfair disparity in that. You know,
1: I agree. I agree. I don't know. No, I agree.
3: I don't have the constitution well, for for podcasting. <sighs> I guess. <laughs>
1: Opposite of Mal, I would love to hear from you. Please send an email to GabbyisBadWithMoney at gmail.com. Leave me a voicemail at eight four 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 seven four four zero four zero. 474 4040 You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. I'm trying to do an episode about scams, but not that many people have you have written in, maybe just because uh, you're scared of revealing your scams or uh, ashamed that you got scammed. But give me I your scam scams. stories. I got scams. Okay, great. Please write in.
3: From uh, the other side. Your mark. Yeah.
1: Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these are in the episode description. Don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops. We can get on the charts and spread the word. Leave me a five-star Apple review. Love you. Oh, Mal, do you have something final to say?
3: Yeah, I'm Mal Blum everywhere. M-A-L-B-L-U-M. It's raining. And I am not a water lily. That's beautiful. I didn't write that. That's not me. That's some poem that I saw on a sculpture at Pepsi (laughs) at PepsiCo Gardens. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Bye.
2: (laughs) Done.